0: Welcome, welcome, welcome. The church is alive, right? The church is alive. Praise God. You can applaud if you want to do that. It's all right. It's all good. I want to welcome everybody here. Of course, everybody streaming online, all of our podcasts later. We're delighted to have you with us and worshiping in this space. I feel so filled up. I can almost say, Stand, let's have a closing benediction, but we're not going to do that because I want to preach the word of God this morning. And um, before I do that, I do want to announce. This Wednesday, I believe, is Ash Wednesday. How many of y'all know what Ash Wednesday is? Ever heard of Ash Wednesday? Ash Wednesday uh, commemorates the 40-day season prior to Easter, not including Sundays. And it's traditionally a time when the church um, focuses uh, even more strongly on the message of Jesus and the words of Jesus. And sometimes we will add additional spiritual rhythms to our lives to help us think about uh, what's coming, which is Easter. Um, At Community of Hope, we practice, what we try to practice around here is something we call ancient future practices. So we will take some of the older traditions of of the Capital C Church and we will wrap them up in kind of a... Uh, a modern-day understanding of that, and then use those as ways to help us grow in our relationship with the living God. And so we have put some resources online. You can check those resources out uh, on Wednesday. We have some uh, material and some stuff online that will help families prepare for this time. Um, Easter is one of the most glorious uh, Sundays of the entire Christian year because we remember on that day, right, that we're not worshiping um, just a tradition. We're worshiping a risen Savior. Can I get amen to that? And um, so I always have said at Community of Hope, I've, I've said it, I think, ever since our church came into existence, you can't really celebrate a resurrection until you acknowledge there's been a death. And so, right? And so, um, that 's what the Linton season will will afford us the opportunity to do in fact, next week we 're beginning an, an exciting series in our church uh, around the uh, around the model of compassion that Jesus lived out and we 're super pumped about that for next week, but wanted to shout that out to you. so grab your notes, grab your Bible, grab your your journal, however it is you do this space We are uh, with this message, with this talk this weekend we 're going to bring to a close. Uh, our series, How Life Works, and at the end of this weekend, we will have worked our way through the entire Sermon on the Mount. Give yourselves a round of applause because we have done it, Uh, and my hope, my goal, my prayer is that uh, as we've gone through this series, we've been challenged, encouraged, and we're going to emerge from these nine weeks with a clear picture of how heaven comes to earth, uh, we have looked at some of the hard teachings of Jesus against, quite honestly, the backdrop that this is really Jesus' understanding of how life is supposed to work. So, in any regard, when we are leaning into what we have learned in the Sermon on the Mount, we are, we are beginning to take new ground on how Jesus says life is supposed to work. It's not uncommon uh, in, in our line of work as pastors to sit with people and answer those sort of existential questions. is: How does life work? What is the meaning of life? How can I build a life that will allow me to get to the end of my experience on earth and have more joys and less regret? How many of you all want more joy? How many of you all want less regret? Amen to that. And so these are some of the existential questions that we Often answer you know the light stuff, the light-hearted questions, nothing deep, thought-provoking or confusing about those questions. I always think that when I get through with my ministry as a pastor, I 'm going to go work in a place where I don 't have to answer those difficult questions, like, "How do you spread mulch?" Well, you tear the bag. OK, never mind. <laughs> you you kind of get the idea, but anyhow. So here's what we're doing. I mean, I think of this kind of deal, right? How do you fashion a life that when I get to the end of the life, I won't feel as though I've missed it? That the ladders I've climbed on are not the wrong ladders altogether. They've been leaning against the wrong wall. None of us starts out that way, right? Right? We don't start out that way. I mean, we don't, you know, we don't go, hey, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to bumble my way through adolescence. When I get to college, I'm going to abandon the faith of my childhood, establish deep regrets, mess up life relationally, dig myself deep into debt so far I can't recover, burn significant relationships around me, develop an addiction to, uh, or two, and generally screw up my life. Hashtag winning. Okay, you get my point. So here's the big idea that we've been aiming at. I'm not going to probably do that at 10.30, but (laughs) here's the big idea we've been aiming at for the entire series. I'm going to put it on the screen. You can see it. Here's what we're saying. Life works when we subordinate every other identity to the identity of being a disciple of Jesus. This is what Jesus thinks is how life works. Every other competing identity You subordinate that identity to the identity of being a follower of Jesus along the way. And and we've been looking at that. You know, my, my scriptures, when I read my Bible, it says this there's coming a day when every person on earth, living or dead, is gonna bend their knee and proclaim Jesus as Lord. Every single person. So so I, I, when I read the Bible, I read that, and here's what I think. So that's going to happen. That's true. I think fundamentally the, the question underneath that is this question. We're all going to do that. This is what my Bible teaches. We're going to do it now, or are we going to do it later? Because we're all going to do it. You just get to choose when you do it, Right? So this is kind of what we're learning right now uh, in this series. We subordinate every other identity. We subordinate our political party. Our political party. Did I say that? Our political party. We're going to subordinate our political party. Our our political party. Our sexual orientation. Did he say that? He did. Sexual orientation. The pronouns you think you want to be called by. Your past, your present, your future, your failures, your successes. We're going to lay it all down. There are so many things that seek to define us. Uh, I've shared before, uh, I grew up in a home. My dad was a career Nabisco man. I'll show you the Nabisco logo. Um, When I was growing up... uh, we only had one kind of snack in our house. <laughs> it was Nabisco snacks. And we had a lot of them. How many of y'all remember, um, you ever heard of Nutter Butter, Peanut Butter Sandwich Cookies? Yeah. Relax. Just, okay. I remember my dad bringing those home. I kid you not. This was 1969. He brought them home before, before they were named. And he brought them home and he said, this is a new cookie coming out. He was always so excited about all that stuff. And so... Uh, he was a Nabisco man. I, I think of that verse in the Bible where Jesus or where God tells Adam and Eve in the garden. He says, And, and the Lord God commanded the man, You're, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For the day you eat of it, you will surely die. And my, my dad, I think my dad's saying was, You are free to eat from any Nabisco product in the store. You must not eat from any other brand. Keebler, Vortman, Sunshine, Pepperidge, Farmer, dreaded store-bought brands. For in the day you eat from those, you shall surely die. Bradlock, chapter 2, verse 16, 17. Uh, when my wife and I got married, I kid you not, it's a true story. She came home one time and she had, she had bought public saltine crackers. I know, I know. I know, you're with me. I, until that moment, I thought, our marriage was going really well. And she brought those home, and I thought, oh, no, we have marriage problems. I didn't know about." It. And I told her, I said, you can't buy that. You have to buy, I'll never forget this. I said, you got to buy an Hibisco. And she said, no, I don't. I said, yes, you do. You have to buy an Hibisco. She goes, you call your dad and tell him to give me the extra three bucks to buy them. Amen. Amen. All right, all right. You get it. My dad was a Chevy man. Any Chevy people? Here's what Chevy stands for. Car has extensive valve rattle on long extended trips. He hated Ford. Any Ford people? Found on road dead. Some people... Some people are Dodge people. Dead or dying garbage emitter. I drive a Dodge, and I think it stands for them old dudes go everywhere. (laughs) Anyhow, I don't even know where I'm going right now. All right. Paul says it. Paul said this. Paul said this. "Whatever, Whatever were gains to me, I consider them a loss for the sake of Christ. Can you hear it? He's subordinating every other identity to the lordship of Jesus. What is more, he writes, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them now garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, I want to know the power of His resurrection. I want to participate in his sufferings, and I want to become like him in his death. And so somehow if I do that, I will attain to the resurrection of the dead. What we've been trying to say over the last eight weeks is the only clearest identifier for people who follow and name Jesus is that we would subordinate every single other thing. Great things, good things, not good things, bad things to the Lordship of Christ. And Jesus was teaching a different kingdom. He was teaching a way to do that. And so this morning, what we're going to do is I'm going to to turn the meter one more time. And I want to give one more click of sort of a template of what that looks like. We have one more hard thing we want to talk about. If we're going to do justice to the text and to the message, there's one more thing. And I have discovered as a pastor now for many years that most of us in the church, most of us, I'm saying that without any hyperbole, most of us don't understand what we're going to talk about in these next few moments. And here's what I want to tell you. I, th- I think that it's bred a lot of confusion, caused a lot of harm. And I think if we get this right, all of us can move forward. And so really what I want to do in these next few moments is I, I want to be less preacher and more teacher Uh, because I want to, I want to go up a level into this is sort of level two Christianity. I want to paint a picture this morning. Even for those who might be listening who are not ready to step into the, to this, you'll get an idea, you'll get an idea of what this looks like, what it looks like. And so I want to read to you this morning from, uh, the last passage that we've got to cover. This is on, in Matthew chapter seven, and it's on judging. Okay. And so Matthew chapter 7, beginning at verse 1, here's Jesus' words, the final teaching uh, in this phenomenal sermon. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye. Then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred, and do not throw your pearls to pigs. For if you do, they may trample them under their feet, and turn and tear you to pieces. And then now we're going to verse down to verse 13, because we already spoke about prayer. So we're skipping down to verse 13, he, he picks up. Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ferocious wolves, and by their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name? Did we not drive out demons in your name? And did we not perform many miracles? And then I will tell them plainly, I never, ever knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Let's pray. You know, Lord, uh, we have so many things running through our heart. We've had a phenomenal experience in worship, and we've seen Maverick be baptized. We've um, prayed for our brothers and sisters in the Ukraine. And uh, now, God, we want to um, do justice and be good stewards of this moment. Your word is open before us. Our lives are open before you. By the power of your Holy Spirit, would you give us an ability in these moments together to open our lives in a way that you will shape us by this experience? Would you help every one of us in this mo- moment under your design, O oh God, calculate our next right step in Christian discipleship? This we pray in the strong and mighty name of Jesus, who is our Lord. And everyone said, Amen. So Jesus is talking here about judgment and he's carrying with it, this word carries with it the idea to select or to identify or to single out. Uh, sometimes it's translated here to condemn or to pass sentence along. Uh, the other thing that is, I think, just as strong in the room that I want to make sure that I mention on the top side of this is he's measuring just as strongly around the idea of hypocrisy which is to hold another to a standard you yourself are not meeting. It's to hold someone up to something you're not doing. It's dangerous. It causes a lot of harm. It might be the number one reason why some people, some of our friends and family and loved ones, never seriously consider following Jesus, because they think his people are so hypocritical. Now, I want to be clear. I want to be clear. This is a, this is going to be a strong teaching today. I want to be clear that. Um, some people use that as a scapegoat. Uh, I remember many years ago speaking with a friend about his walk with God. He was navigating what it would what it would look like if he really invited Jesus to be his Lord, leader, forgiver, and friend. That's the language I often use, Lord, leader, forgiver, friend. And he was always holding back. And when he would hold back, he would always point at, you know, somebody else who was kind of living a hypocritical life. And it just dawned on me one day that that he wasn't really so much focused on that. He just knew that if he gave his life to Christ, hear me now, there would be implications for him. He would have to change some things. And he didn't really want to change some things, so he always pointed toward the hypocrisy. But I think we would want to say, right, we'd want to acknowledge hypocrisy exists, right? It's everywhere. Uh. Dallas Willard, one of my favorite Christian authors, says this. He goes, he writes, How many people, I wonder, how many people are radically and permanently repelled from the way of Christ by Christians who are unfeeling, stiff, unapproachable, boringly lifeless, obsessive, dissatisfied, and above all, judgmental? Yet, he writes, such Christians are everywhere, and what they're missing is the wholesome liveliness that springs from a balanced vitality with the freedom of God's loving rule. And then he says what has become a, a life quote from your spirituality wrongly understood or pursued is one of the major sources of human misery and rebellion against God. And we've all, I think, I think if you walked in the Christian way a little bit, you've all felt it. Anybody ever felt judged? Come on. Um, every now and again, I get letters with no address on them. There was a season, there was a time I wouldn't open them. (laughs) Here, Beth, this is for you. No, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't do that. Um, I read one recently. that was anonymous. And it was an encouragement note. It meant so much to me. I've kept it. But, you know, there's always that moment when you're opening it. Ah, uh, do I open it? Every one of us knows the sting of judgment, of what it feels like to be evaluated in some way negatively. Uh, and we have to learn the difference between judgment and, and appropriate constructive feedback that helps us walk in the way of Jesus. Um, when I think about this passage, there are three things I think I want to teach us this morning. Again, a little bit more teaching, a little less preaching. And when I think of this phrase, I, I, or, or the, this passage, I, I think of the phrase, don't do it. Say, say it with me. Don't do it. Say, say it like you mean it. Don't do it. So when it comes to judgment, ready, go. Don't do it. Awesome. But, but really in the text, here's what's an interesting thing in the text. It's not so much, say it again. Don't do it. It's don't do it. Do you notice a difference, gr- grammar? Do you notice a difference? This is kind of what I want to talk about just for a f- few moments. First of all, if you're taking notes, he says, don't. Don't judge. It's best to avoid it altogether. It's kind of like if somebody were to ask you a question about quantum physics, most of us should go, I don't think that's my question to be asked. Uh, It's sort of like trying to milk a rattlesnake. Most of us should probably not do that. Okay? And so when the first thing that I think Jesus is inviting us to is this, he's saying, don't judge but here's an interesting thing this is where there's a lot of misunderstanding the body of Christ I want to make sure we, we're clear we should not he says don't judge unbelievers now that's kind of an interesting thing in fact Paul was referring to this a little later I want to show you a verse this is first Corinthians chapter 5 verse 12 look at what Paul says what business is it of mine to judge those outside the church. So this is a big understanding here. When when it comes to judging people who are not self-identified pre-Christian people, here's what Jesus and Paul would say. Don't do it. Don't do it. Because when you do it, people, this is what they see when you do it. Everybody know who that is? Who is it? Oh, come on. It's not that. Who is it? Nope. It's Dana Carvey. Dressed up like the church lady. Here's an interesting story about him. Grew up in a Christian church. Ran into a lot of judgment. This is his caricature of, of what Christians do to unchristians. And that should kind of, I don't know, make all of us feel a little uncomfortable. Jesus would say we should skip that. When I read the scripture around this idea, uh, I, I learn and really see that I only have one play before God and my pre-Christian friends which is really to live a spiritually curious life that points them toward something Brennan Manning calls the vulgar grace and indiscriminate compassion of Jesus. That's the only play we've got for unbelievers. Befriend them, love them, remember you were one of them. Brendan Manning, he writes it this way, Um, I love love his writing, and he says, My life is a witness to the vulgar grace of Jesus, a grace that amazes as it offends, a grace that pays the eager beaver who works all day long the same wages as the grinning drunk who shows up at ten to five. A grace that hikes up the robe and runs breakneck toward the prodigal reaping of sin and wraps him or her and decides to throw a party, no ifs, ands, or buts. A grace that raises bloodshot eyes to a dying thief's request, please remember me, and assures him, you bet. A grace that is the pleasure of the Father fleshed out in the Messiah, Jesus the Christ, who left his Father's side Not for heaven's sake, but for our sake, yours and mine. It is a vulgar grace, yes, and filled with indiscriminate compassion. First time I read those words, I was at a retreat. I think I've shared this before, and I was sitting by a pool, and I was reading this book, Ragamuffin Gospel, and it got underneath my skin. You ever read something gets under your skin? And I started to cry. And I didn't start to cry a little bit. I started to ugly cry. Anybody know what ugly cry is? And there was a guy walking around the pool. I'm at this conference thing, and he kept walking around. He's bringing drinks around, and he walked by, and he saw me, and he was avoiding me, and then he came over, and he said, Are, are, you, are you okay? I'm fine. Are, are you really? Are you okay? Can I help you? No, I'm fine. And I didn't want to tell him, but this is what I had just read. And this is what Jesus' position is for you. We were all, we're all like um beggars looking for bread. And so our only play for people far from God is to love them and lead a spiritually curious life. Okay? So so the first thing is I want to say is don't do it. Can you say it again? Don't do it. Can we just all how many would say right now, I'm not ever doing that ever again? Let's just go right now. Come on. Four of us. I am going to preach till we got more hands. Come on, all right. We're not going to do it. All right, great. Then here is an interesting thing. Here is here is an interesting thing. Then the next part of what Jesus says, it's it's not don't. It's it's actually do, which is interesting. And it's now you are going to think I've lost my mind. It's actually do, judge. Don't don't judge, and then do, judge. So now you can go to breakfast in just a few moments and go, he's completely lost his mind. But here's what I want to show you. One of the best ways we grow our faith is to learn what the Christian faith is and then to evaluate our lives up against it. And we do this as we learn to appropriately, appropriately, appropriately judge ourselves. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, 5, look at what Paul writes here. He says, hey, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. And do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you unless, of course, look what he writes, you fail the test. So the kind of judgment we're, here, we're talking about here is, is to evaluate our own lives. I don't think we do this enough, maybe. And I'm not talking about inciting guilt or shame on ourselves, but I am saying every now and again, I think we ought to evaluate. Paul says, take a moment, evaluate how you are in the faith. See if you're still in the faith. You might not be in the faith. I mean, you know, just take a moment and, and check that sort of thing. Some of us have made, had this prayer that we prayed 30 years ago, and, and we've long since left that prayer. It's like I said, it's like the guy that you've heard me say before, the guy that tells his wife, look, i You never tell me you love me. I told you on our wedding day, if something changes, I'll let you know. That's that's not a good thing. Come on, y'all. Jesus is saying we need to have a conversation. He says, test yourself. Test yourself. And then here's a big part of this, okay? I I, I remember years ago, this... um, we evaluate ourselves against truth. Truth is a, a a very important thing, and it's very powerful. It wounds and it heals. Uh, when I was a young boy, uh, we used to travel to New England, which is where my dad was from. And I remember one time we were we were traveling to New England, and and I, what I wanted he would he would always tell us before the summer trip. Maybe you grew up in a home like this. Start saving your money. You're going to want to buy some souvenirs for when you get to get to wherever you're going. Do you ever do that, right? And so I remember saving up money. I was mowing yards, saving up money. And, and, and I remember this, this moment, doing chores around the house and had allowance and all this sort of thing. And my dad let me buy my first pocket knife. And and, and I remember him telling me, this is, this, is, this is not a toy. This is a tool. It's a, really, it's a really important thing. And I remember putting it in my pocket and feeling like, man, I am the dude. You know, I got like a pocket knife. <laughs> And he taught me how to use it, how to open it up. And he said, if you don't do this the right way, you will cut yourself. What do you think I did? <laughs> you were there. <laughs> I, cut, I cut myself. And why? Because I was being cavalier with it. And this is really what Jesus is kind of inviting us about biblical truth. We need to take the word of God seriously. And we open our lives to it. And we ask God to search us and to know us and and to help us grow in the way. Now, here's another big challenge. We're going to take one other click in this. Um, We're also to learn how to do that with other people within the body of Christ. When Paul was talking about judgment, he said, don't judge unbelievers, but appropriately judge people within the body. And most of us don't know how to do that. I I remember reading one time real quickly that Children grow up well-adjusted when they when they experience two things: unconditional love and limits. Part of what's wrong with our culture right now, right? No limits, everything's okay. And 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 they did this study. Remember, the, I think it was Harvard did the study on kids. They would. When they took kids to the playground, if the kid could see the mother, and the mother had established the boundaries of how far out to go, kids just flourished in that ground. But they took a different set of kids, put them out in the playground, gave them no boundaries, and then just observed. And they were fearful. They were timid. They fought one another. They are missing love and missing limits. This is this is what we need. And this is what we need in the body of Christ. I will remember, I remember a story one time of a pastor's daughter, and his mom, mom took her out front and said, You can ride on your bike and you can go to this tree and you can go to the mailbox. The tree, the mailbox. Say it with me. The tree, the tree, the mailbox, the mailbox. And finally a little girl looked up at her mom and said, You might as well spank me. I've got other places I gotta go. <laughs> Not good. And then lastly, real quickly, real quickly, Jesus says, "I think he says, "Don't." And then he says, "Do." And then he says, "It." And I, I think we should say real quickly, how we are to judge people. Uh, and here's what I think of when I read the text. One one idea is this. The very way, right, that would be most helpful to you if someone did it to you. You think of somebody who's offered you constructive feedback about growing or about maturing was helpful. We all know what it is. We can feel it. This is this is what Jesus is inviting us into. We should, you know, John Wesley, the the, the the convener of the tradition that we are uh, uh, aligned with, he had this phrase where he would say we should learn to watch over one another in love. Isn't that a great phrase? We just have protective care as we're growing with mercy. So don't, say it. Don't Don't do Do. it. Mercy. Mercy. so here's what I want to do when you came in you got a card this is a moment of commitment for us and the band's going to come thank you Keith and uh, what I want you to do is I, w- I want you to take a moment while the band is leading us in song and um, I want you to take a moment and I want you to uh, identify maybe the one thing that gets in your way uh, in terms of you subordinating all of your life under the Lordship of Christ. What is is the identity? What is the thing? I think our prayer team's gonna move into place. And I want you to, I want you to, in a moment of commitment, should you feel like you can do this, I want you to surrender that to the Lord. And then what we're gonna do this morning is um, make that a surrender and I invite you to just come up, step out from where you are and just come up and lay it We're going to commission these stairs kind of like as an altar. And this is a a space to say, Lord, if I'm going to, you know, understand how life is supposed to work, this one thing you've been pointing at in this series, I'm going to surrender this to you. And I'm I'm going to to raise up the idea that I'm going to be a disciple of Jesus along the the path that you're choosing. This is a moment of commitment. Do it as unto the Lord. And uh, let's see what God does with us. Can we give the Lord a round of applause for his vulgar grace and his indiscriminate compassion? Uh, Lord Jesus, we lay all of these false identities in front of you. We lay all of these false gods in front of you and we crush them under our feet. And God, I believe in the spiritual realm this morning that you are breaking strongholds and you are setting people free. And I believe, oh God, we are learning what it looks like to take the next step along the way that you have joyfully given to us. Um, We know it was costly and yet you give it to us for free. Would you grow our faith? Would you grow us as pilgrims along the way? And would you empower us to live lives in front of our friends and family and loved ones and neighbors and coworkers and enemies that points people directly to you? This we pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Go in his mercy.